This is an ABC podcast. And just having someone to talk through all of that with helped me cope. If I hadn't had that, I think there would be so many skills and so many coping techniques that I wouldn't have today that I wouldn't be using to make my work more effective. So how's your mental health? Is it affecting your work? Or maybe it's the other way around and your work is affecting your headspace. Hello, I'm Lisa Leong. And on This Working Life, Employee Assistance Programs, EAPs. What are the pros and cons and how could they work better? One friend who works in in the medical field, and when I asked her, you know, have you ever thought about speaking to a counsellor or accessing your EAP? And she immediately just, she said, I feel really uncomfortable with that. And I asked her why. And she said it was it was mainly because she thought it would be used against her. Like if she was ever going to go for a promotion, they would be looking at whether or not she had needed to seek support and, and actually count that against her. Are there barriers to accessing this free therapy? Is confidentiality actually a problem? And if so, what can be done to make it safer? But first, let's just check we're on the same page here. An employee assistance program gives workers who are going through challenging times the opportunity to make contact with a psychologist, therapist or counsellor. The organisation pays for a set number of those sessions with the therapist. Marguerite Picard is a family lawyer and she's been involved with setting up Support for Lawyers, an employee assistance program for her peers. Marguerite, is there any legal requirement to provide this? No, there isn't a legal requirement, but with OH&S considerations being at the forefront for most employers these days, it is seen as something that's a healthy thing to provide, partly in compliance with OH&S, but it's definitely not mandated and so many workplaces in Australia don't have one. I think it's very much uh, for big organisations and white collar. That's my kind of anecdotal understanding of how EAP has been rolled out in Australia. Jo Mitchell is a clinical psychologist. Ten years ago, she co-founded The Mind Room, a psychology practice in Melbourne. So we started to offer EAP about three years ago, so we didn't do it at the start of the practice. We'd been approached by a lot of um, people that we worked with to say, will you do EAP? But I guess I didn't really love the business model that was out there and so it took us a while before we we kind of thought okay well if we were going to do it how would we do it um so that we made sure that we were offering a really quality service to people what didn't you like about the model that was out there i think it was more driven by a business need than a employee need and a bit of a tick box so very often it would be you paid a, a substantial upfront fee to a company and then that guaranteed you, say, maybe three sessions per employee. What you found was that there would be a pretty low uptake by people, uh, kind of a three-session limit um, for a lot of businesses. We talk about, well, you know, it's not like everybody's going to like rush in and be using this. You're more likely to have some people that need more sessions and some people that won't even call us. So, you know, why not have higher limits? so that people can actually do some good work with the psychologist, get them started, because three sessions is really very little. A lot of it is we're trying to educate the 
employers, the businesses in what does best practice look like, while also understanding they're running a business. The question of whose responsibility is this is, you know, challenging because it's not like we get our dentistry and our other medical bills necessarily paid for by the workplace. Why do you think there's been this disconnect between what is a more useful practical offering and what is often available? The providers of EAP were coming maybe more from an organisational psychology perspective and looking at, well, how do we provide, how do we make this economically sustainable and viable for them? Um, so they put forward a model and that, that was the one that really the majority were, were using out there. Whereas for us, you know, we actually want, if people are going to use the service, we want them to use it. We want them to get matched with the right kind of psychologist for them. I mean, the other issue with the EAP service is a lot of the time that they're not necessarily um, psychologists, they're counsellors and other health, mental health professionals, which again, you can get absolutely fantastic non-psychology trained support, but it just meant that the bar was a little lower. You didn't really know what you might be getting. So EAPs generally mix it up. Sometimes I might get given a counsellor, other times a clinical psychologist. Joe, as a psychologist treating employees, what sort of issues are people presenting with? People present for all sorts of issues and some are definitely on the mental illness end of the continuum and some are more in the reacting or responding to life events and then others are just a, a kind of a languishing or, a, a, you know, I'm just, I don't know, what am I here for? What's what's this about? And surely, surely there's a little more to life. My name is Joy Aden. I am a communications consultant uh, working in Western Sydney. Joy has had some very positive experiences with EAPs. So my family comes from the Philippines and we migrated here when I was three. And I noticed definitely growing up that you know, talking about your feelings and talking about your problems really wasn't a done thing. It was, uh, you know, a lot of Filipinos, they, they smile, they get on with life, they say, you know, we'll pray for you, and then they just carry on and either pretend everything's fine or the thing that is affecting you just didn't happen and you just carry on because it's a survival thing and you just keep, you know, carrying on. And I found that really challenging, uh, especially when I was going through my own mental health issues. I found there was so much stigma around asking for that type of help um, or even just talking about how difficult things are. It was really a eye-opening thing for me to have colleagues encourage me to seek help. I think if, I, if that hadn't happened, if I didn't have either a manager or a friend at work saying, hey, you should go and speak to someone, I probably would never have done it. And I guess that's one of the reasons why I keep encouraging other people to do it, because now that I have experienced the benefit myself, I think, please, please access this because you might think you don't need it or you might think it's not a done thing, but if it's there, just give it a go. The first time Joy accessed an EAP was at her first full-time professional job. And I was involved in a, a change management project that was involving a whole host of different managers in our organisation. And it was the first time I had ever worked on a project like that and I found it really, really stressful. I felt like my confidence was just really worn down as a result of the project. And I found out just in passing uh, during lunch conversation with a friend that anybody who had been impacted or was involved in that change management project happened to have free access to 
the organization's EAP. I had no idea what it was at the time. And then I looked it up and I thought, okay, well, it sounds like it's a confidential chat with a counsellor. And it didn't even occur to me at that point um, that there were any risks or anything like that involved. I thought, you know, if this is a chat that I can have with someone just to share what my issues are and kind of talk through them, that would be really helpful. So I set up an appointment. I went during my lunch break and um, I met a counsellor who happened to be ex-military, was talking through some of those challenges. And I just found the whole experience. I had a couple of sessions with that particular counsellor and it was just It was really eye-opening and it allowed me to flesh out and I guess validate some of the things that I was finding really challenging in my workplace. And then he gave me some really good advice about how to handle that. Reflecting back now, Joy thinks she had undiagnosed depression and probably anxiety too. I could feel that the events that were happening at work were making me incredibly stressed and I was bringing that home to my family. I was ruminating a lot about specific uh, events, conversations with people, things that I hadn't gotten done. If I hadn't had access to somebody to talk through all of those things and or work through them, I think I would have become a really ineffective employee and a really ineffective mum and it would have affected so many of my relationships for longer than it did. Joy's second stint with her EAP was triggered when she shared with a work friend that she was grappling with a debilitating health problem. Two or three years after the birth of my second son, I was having really terrible pelvic pain and I was seeing a physiotherapist. And eventually all of those sessions led up to another big health diagnosis, which I wasn't prepared for. And I was talking to a work friend uh, about what was going on and how stressed I was uh, at work because the illness and the condition was affecting my work. And I was increasingly feeling just really guilty because I wasn't hitting my targets. I was really distracted. I was physically in pain. It was affecting how I was able to play with and parent my kids. And they said, you know, have you thought about contacting somebody? And um, at the time I had completely forgotten about having an EAP and they said, you know, we've got access to one. If you want to see a counsellor, it's probably a good idea. So I reached out and set up an appointment with a counsellor and just the being able to sit down with someone just to talk through what was happening in my personal life. It was such an important part of my mental and emotional recovery, just giving me permission, I guess, to feel what I was feeling, but also giving me coping mechanisms to help manage that as well. I was just really floored that the leaders in that organisation were really encouraging me to seek out the support. Joy's experiences contrasted with what she'd seen previously at other workplaces. Some of them were really small startups, some of them were large, quite large, and it was almost like the culture of that organisation was you just get work done, you do the best that you can and you're there to hit your targets and you're there to make a contribution and whatever's happening in your personal life shouldn't be affecting that at all. Got the sense that if you needed additional help, then you were somehow less effective as an employee. And so that would be something that, you know, your manager might be really concerned about and would be thinking about, you know, do you need some sort of performance improvement plan or something like that, as opposed to other organisations where it was just life happens and sometimes it gets hard and sometimes you just need support. Of course, we're going to offer you the support if that's going to help you not just thrive in your life, but also in your workplace. Joy is now a full-time freelancer, so she doesn't have access to an EAP anymore. I realised 
when a big event happened this year, I, I needed a counsellor again and I actually ended up calling the original person who I had worked with in my AAP and paying for sessions out of pocket because we developed that kind of rapport and she already knew me and, you know, what we'd worked through and I found that really valuable. Let's hear more from Marguerite Picard and what motivated the family lawyer to set up an EAP for her peers around the world. My own experience with EAP is that I had never accessed one, but I was probably a person who should have done had there been one. Now, tell me about uh, your story of a a peer who had the heart attack. Tell me that story. Mm. This is a really grim story about a a colleague for, you know, whom I have a great deal of admiration and whom I like very much. And I saw that he was suffering a lot in his workplace. What area was he in what workplace? Working in family law, but also to do with a lot of family violence and intervention orders and so on. So a very stressful workplace. I don't think anyone, including himself, knew how much he was suffering in his workplace. And one day, as a relatively young man in his 40s, he had a massive heart attack at work and he was, in his words, dead for 40 minutes before he was able to be revived by the ambulance. And it was only after he had that heart attack and narrowly survived that it started to occur to him to what extent workplace stress had been responsible for that. Do you think that there are any warning signs before that horrible moment? Only the experience of feeling continually under stress, which I think a lot of lawyers do, but I don't think we necessarily see that that's going to lead to physical ill health and we just continue to cope and push on and drive forward. And so with this experience of his heart attack, Why did you decide to set up support for lawyers? We decided to set it up because we wanted something that was really confidential and anonymous. We wanted it to be something that people could access at all kinds of times. And because we had kind of moved our life to Zoom and Teams, we were able to create a platform where people could just go online. And how is is this service, Support for Lawyers, different from a general or regular EAP Mm. on offer? All of the psychologists and counsellors who work with us have experience working with lawyers in the court system, outside the court system, inside and outside law firms. So they have particular knowledge of the stressors of legal practice. It's exclusively online and what our research told us is that a lot of people were really reluctant to go to a place to be seen to end up at a, an office and be looking for help there. What are some of those explicit advantages of industry-specific EAP services? I think generally people want to be heard and understood and seen and to work with a therapist who already has an understanding of your industry is a shorthand entrance to the conversation about support. And Marguerite, with all of this experience in this area, how useful EAPs. The impact of work on your personal and family life is something that there's a great deal of relief when people can discuss those things. And it's really difficult to isolate out what the stressors are in life. You know, workplace is something you can manage better if things in your outside life are going better and vice versa. Laura was working for the federal government a few years back. And I was leading a team of probably over 15 staff. I had new leadership come in and was under instruction to let some of the staff go in my team and there were staff going in other teams. 
Laura says through that process and being in a managerial role, she saw HR openly discussing which staff were accessing EAP. Then when new management came in, I unfortunately, and I find it a bit traumatic actually, I was thinking to even talk about now, it was a very toxic work culture and I was bullied in there and was also offered EAP. But knowing what had happened to other staff and then being asked for my identification was so uncomfortable that I ended up not using the EAP. I ended up uh, trying to take stress leave, which itself became quite an ordeal, Um, then having to provide medical records and it was so stressful that I ended up resigning. Laura didn't feel safe accessing her employee assistance program, so she went private instead. It was mainly the fact that they wanted my information because I felt then that I would be targeted. Confidentiality comes up a lot as a barrier to using EAPs. Here's psychologist Joe Mitchell from The Mind Room again. When we are talking to businesses, sometimes we have requests that would contravene the confidentiality of the service. So we have to do a bit of education around that, which is, you know, it's wonderful that you're offering this service. Yes, we can give you numbers data, but we certainly cannot give you anything else that would identify who is tapping into this service. Some of them think, hey, I because I'm paying for this, I now have some kind of right of access to people's information. But that is 100% not the case. The client here is the staff member who comes into the service. The employer is picking up the tab. They can get data on usage, but it'll be aggregate data. It's not going to be individual data. Amazing employers would even try this on. What kind of information do they try to get? How often has Sam been in? Did they turn up for their session? Uh, What are the major presenting issues? Marguerite, this concern about confidentiality and potential stigma around seeking help, how can this be addressed? What's the best way to ensure confidentiality? I think is to actually start having these conversations in the workplace. And people certainly want confidentiality because of the stigma and we want to remove stigma so that that people are comfortable to access the service. People will say they are concerned about that, whether or not that's a reality, but it is a reality within firms and I know that from my own experience that if you access the EAP via HR or via your manager, it is known within the workplace to a degree. And that's the thing that lawyers fear because it's going to cruel your career is, is the fear that lawyers have if they are seen not to be well. Margaret, how is what you're doing um, preventing that possibility of confidentiality breach? Because the individual lawyer logs in online with their personal details and personal email. It is paid for by the employer because the employer has a code and that's a universal code within that firm. Now, with other EAP programs, are you saying that staff sometimes need to go through HR to access the EAP? Yes, that's right. To be clear, there are two main concerns. One is that the therapist will feed back information to the employer, but therapists work under very strict codes of conduct, so employees shouldn't worry about this. 
The other concern, though, is that employers will find out who is accessing the services because of the way the organisation has set up access to the EAP. Many workplaces require you to go through HR, which means you're obviously not anonymous. I think a lot of people get nervous about accessing EAP thinking that the information that they share with the clinician uh, will be shared with the organisation. Um, but essentially the only information that we get is usage. So monthly reports will be provided um, by our EAP provider. So my name's Kylie Crane. I'm the head of people at Today's Strategic Design. The first, uh, I suppose, project I had was to identify whether that particular service was of use to people, um, whether they were aware of the service that was actually available and if they had accessed the service, um, if they're willing to share the information with me to, to provide feedback on the effectiveness of the service. It was found through that research um, phase that our initial partner was probably not a good match for our culture. And so we moved to another organisation. So they very much understand our business um, and the work that we do and the challenges that we face with the work that we do. Carly, do you have a sense of how well used the EAP service is amongst your colleagues? You know, I've got a pretty good read that a healthy proportion of our people do use the EAP or have in the past. Given the kind of work that we do, so sometimes I think with some of the design thinking work and the research that we do out in the communities for some of our projects, our team will hear um, lots of quite confronting stories. But Kylie has one suggestion for making EAPs more useful. Some of the disadvantages of the EAP is you may not be aware organisationally there's any work-related um, processes or relationships that may be contributing factors to someone reaching out to the EAP. Like, obviously, we don't get the information that people share um, in relation to their needs as using EAP, but in some ways I would love to be a part of the conversation if it was to be work-related um, concerns that someone has. But again, obviously, given the confidentiality arrangements, we never get that loop back from the EAP to say um, there's a concern culturally in your organisation and this is what it is. So why invest in the mental health of workers? I think, you know, more pragmatic benefits would be reduced absenteeism and things like that. That's obviously really important from an organisational point of view is there's no disruption to work. The other big benefit is that generally this kind of arrangement gives you speedier access to mental health services, which at the moment, I don't know if you've tried a waiting list for a psychologist, but they're huge, right? People are waiting a really, really long time to get in to see someone. So if your company has an arrangement with an EAP service, then that's amazing. That gives you an advantage. Our deal that we offer to businesses is that, you know, your people will be seen um, within one to two weeks now at the moment to get seen by a psychologist is probably more like a minimum of three months. Employers owe a duty of care to their employees. Everybody is required to make a workplace safe and if regular check-ins and crisis management makes your workplace safe, that is part of it. It's a way of satisfying an obligation. At a business level, we know that maintaining health for employees, whether it's physical or mental health, and providing a workplace that feels good for people to work at 
increases productivity and maintains productivity. It's very expensive to recruit an employee. To lose and have a turnover in staff is not a good thing for the bottom line of any business or any law firm. There is a lot of competition for staff in all workplaces in Australia and this is one aspect of what they might provide for employees that does make them more of an employer of choice. I think that it demonstrates leadership and innovation and openness and I think it changes the culture within a law firm where instead of the knowledge and the discussion being top-down, it can come from the grassroots and if employees and employers are having similar conversations about wellness, it builds trust between management and staff. Um, I think it just creates a healthier, happier workplace for people. Thank you so much, Marguerite. Thank you. That's Marguerite Picard, family lawyer who set up Support for Lawyers. We also heard from Joe Mitchell from The Mine Room, Kylie Crane from Today Strategic Design, also Joy and Laura. We made this episode on the lands of the Gadigal and Wiradjuri people. This Working Life is produced by Sarah Allerley. I'm Lisa Leong, and until next time, love your work. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.